Good evening. That's a pretty good crowd for a Sunday night. Tonight I will be preaching old school style with my here notebook because I dropped my backpack this morning, which had my computer in it, and I cracked it, uh, and so it is not behaving very well, uh, slash maybe at all. So I'm going to try to be as interesting as possible without some flashy PowerPoint going on, but I make no promises. Tonight what I want to do is I want to try to get you to feel two things that I have felt this week that have really stood out to me. Because you know there are sometimes, you know things intellectually, but there are just things that happen in your life and you're just like, oh yeah, I get that a little more, like this makes a little more sense to me now. And one of the, the feelings that I get, you can turn to Acts the ninth chapter, we'll begin there here in just a moment, is an emotion that I imagine most of us have felt at some point in time. It is a feeling that you are in the wrong place. This week I woke up from, I'm not even sure that I would call it a nightmare, but it was a dream in which I did not feel good when I woke up. Because in my dream, I was in a place where I had nothing in common with the people I was with. And the reason was that because I looked at them as though they were much, much worse than I am as a person. And I looked at them and I said, why am I here with them? I have nothing in common with these people. And maybe you have found yourself in a similar situation where you look around and you say, "Uh, how did I get here? I'm better than them. Well, the reason how we get there is because something slipped along the way or we got a little arrogant along the way and we become like that tax collector in Luke 18 when Jesus tells the parable because some people considered themselves righteous and they looked at others with contempt. Father, I thank you that I am not like this publican or this tax collector, right? The Pharisee, that's what he says. Because I fast twice a week. I do this. I do that. I am so good spiritually And this other guy over here is saying, I can't even look up to God because I don't belong. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And I think far too often, I might not be trying to justify myself before God, but I might be looking at others with more contempt than is deservedly so. And so that gets me to Paul. Paul, at one point in his life, I imagine, felt very out of place, except not because he was showing contempt to other people, but rather they were showing a little contempt to him. Remember, because we know that Saul, before he became Paul, persecuted Christians. And he was going all over the globe persecuting Christians. And then he's baptized. He is converted. 
And he goes down to Jerusalem, and we find him in verse 26 of Acts the ninth chapter, that when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. They saw him, and they said, no, 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 he is an imposter. He is not one of us. You'd say that's a little bit of contempt. And he's trying to join himself. I want you to think about that. He's trying to go in there and be a part of this group of people. And the group of people are saying, sorry, Paul, we're not buying. And I think about people that walk through these doors. I think about, do they feel welcome? I think for the most part, yes. But there are churches around the neighborhood that have outside on their sign, all are welcome. And we understand that to be a very loaded term in this day and time. That means whatever your sexual preference is, whatever your marriage is, whatever your situation in life is, You're accepted here. Okay. Everyone is welcome to walk into these doors. As we talked about this morning, not everyone is welcome to be a member here. Because we base that off of the truth of the gospel, whether or not we are practicing what Jesus says. But I sat back and asked the question. Do all feel welcome here? Say a homosexual walks through the door. Would they feel welcome? Would they feel like they could be a part? I'm not saying in the sin in which they are, but let's say they're just like the rest of us. We walk in and we've got sin in our life, whatever that sin may be. And maybe someone makes me say, this is the place I want to be. Paul was trying and they wouldn't let him in. Until Barnabas, verse 27, does something about it. But Barnabas took him. And he brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke of him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So, or therefore, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Out of all of those disciples that were gathered as a church, only one welcome. And sometimes that's all it takes. Is one person. And I have to ask myself the question, am I that one person? Because it's different for different people. I was talking with this with someone earlier this week. It doesn't come naturally for me to talk to people. You say, what? What are you talking about? That is not a natural thing. I've been told in the last few weeks that I can talk to anybody. I don't feel that way whatsoever. What you see me doing on Sunday morning and Sunday nights was something that I forced myself to do. And now it is more natural. It was not for the longest time, even though I can, quote, talk to anybody. It's just not the way it was. But there were brethren along the way who I saw doing that. And they made an impact in my life that made me feel like I belonged. Because I remember walking in off the street with all these problems in my life, and I felt like a fish out of water. 
I did not belong in this group of people where everyone's got their lives together and everyone is so spiritually focused. Here I am, I know very little, and here I am living all this terrible stuff. And it would be easy to be overwhelmed in such a situation. I just don't belong there. I'm not wanted there. Because I'm not going to be the one that is going to go in and force myself into a group of people. There are people that's just the way they are. They've got that kind of personality where they'll feel comfortable and they'll make it known they want to be a part. But does that always mean that they're going to be accepted? How dare you try to get in our circle and blah, 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 whatever the case may be. But what I'm trying to say to you is, if you've ever felt like that, it may have just been on vacation, where you walked into a group of Christians and you thought it was going to be the same. You thought it was going to be great. And not a single soul spoke to you. If you've ever had that happen, you say, next time I'm in that place, I'm going to a different church. Because I'm not welcome there. But yet, there might have been one person in that group that made all the difference. So I want you to think about maybe that happened in your life. Maybe there was one person. I want you to take a second. I want you to think about what was it that that one person did that made an impact. What was it that they did? I'll tell you, for me, it was a guy that I'm still probably the closest to out of all the people in Atlanta. He took me to a basketball game. And that was the first time I had hung out with people from church. And he specifically took me and this 16-year-old kid. I was not 16 at the time. I was just out of college. Because he wanted to encourage both of us. Well, needless to say, that had a major impact on me. That one of the first things I did when I moved here, there was someone that was right about that same age range that I was at the time that also liked basketball. I took them to a basketball game. It didn't work out in the same way. But we tried. We gave it effort. Because I understood what that kid was going through. And how difficult it would be when you don't feel like you belong. And that's part of this whole unity business. Is that it is my job to try to make someone else feel a part. Rather than expecting it all to happen organically is that it may make me, it may require me to step out of, and we say this all the time, my comfort zone. So one more person and one more anecdote that really stood out to me, and this was not from an outgoing individual at all. In fact, this was not someone that I ever even saw up and saw lead a prayer or do anything except for wait on the Lord's table. It's the only thing that I ever remember them doing in the two years I was a member there. But every single time they saw me, they spoke to me. Just said, hello. Glad to have you today. And I thought about that a lot through the years 
of this guy would not get the same glory and the same recognition that some of the others get. But yet, that person is someone that I remember as having a huge impact in my life and nobody else would even know it now. And that's the kind of impact one person can have on one other person. And that's why we have things like, phrases like, each one, teach one. But if we all did that, it would be a very strong thing. So how do you, so how do you find a way to find some common ground if you know nothing about them? It's really difficult, right? I I began to think, maybe we could even assume that if someone comes in here, they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Is that a safe assumption to make? It's not a safe assumption to make. They might be wondering if Jesus is who they say He is. They might actually clearly be against Jesus and just want to know what is going on in this church. Or like a few years ago, maybe it was last year, two years ago, we had a guy come in. He was just going to all these different churches, 52 different churches in 52 weeks. And he wanted to see what was different about each one of those churches. If I make an assumption that somebody already believes the same things that I believe when they walk through the door, I might actually say the wrong thing to them. That would be very frustrating to them. So I can't assume that. What can I assume? They at least found out about it for some reason. Man, what, what brings you here today? Where did you come from? Like, how did you hear about you? Do you know anybody here? No, I don't know anybody. I, I remember Ani Eddie's wife, when, when, they, when they came for the very first time, or one of the first times, they said, well, how did you hear about us? I think it was through the Spirit. And I don't know exactly what she meant by that, but what it meant to me was this. We felt like we needed to come here. This is a place we had heard about, and we needed to come check it out. And here we are four or five years later, something along those lines. Or you got the Google today, right? People Google Churches of Christ because maybe they are familiar with that. Other days, just Google churches that are around. And we had one just like that a few weeks ago. And we had a lady right here in this neighborhood right back. I can't remember her name. But she came, you guys welcomed her tremendously, and she was coming to virtually all the Friday night classes for a really long time. Because, she said, people were very friendly. I'm not saying that we are not. But what I'm saying is, that feeling of walking through those doors for the very first time and not knowing a soul, what am I doing for that person? Am I ignoring them, or am I making some kind of an effort? Here's the other thought that I had, and I didn't know how to to say these two things together, but they go together. How do you encourage someone that you actually do share something with? Like you know that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We know our members here for the most part, right? We know the same things. We believe a lot of the same things. You have to think, well, how did... The apostles encouraged people when they needed it. And that gets me back to our passage in Philippians chapter 1. Go back to Philippians chapter 1 that was read for us and that we looked at last Sunday morning. 
Is that one of the things that I think about a lot of times is that it's not easy to do things alone. It's not easy to do evangelism alone. It is not easy to clean the house alone. It is not easy to mow the lawn alone. It's not easy to do a lot of things alone. Because they are work. And one of the things that's really hard to do alone is fight a battle. Specifically, a spiritual battle. Because if I'm trying to fight a spiritual battle all alone, I probably do not have the strength that it is going to take to win that battle. So I need help. I need help first and foremost from the Lord. Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. But I also need my brothers and sisters to fight with me. I need them, as we talked about last week, striving side by side. Now notice what Paul says about that at the end of the chapter. Look down with me in verse 28. He says, Don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. And here's the phrase. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. What he's saying to them is this. Stand firm, fight together, and I'm in this thing with you. We're fighting the same battle here. And yeah, the enemy is the same, but a lot of times our battles are different. You think back to the civil war of this country, right? Fighting south versus the north. But while there would be a battle going on in Mississippi, there would be a battle going on in Georgia. They're fighting over different places and different things, even though it's all the same arching enemy. We have some that are fighting against addictions. We have some that are fighting against covetousness. We have some that are fighting against, you name it. And the odds are probably pretty good that we've got at least two fighting the same battle. But let's say it's not. Say maybe I've already finished that one. I fought that battle. I haven't haven't had to fight that one in a while. But you know brother or sister so-and-so is. Man, you can do this thing. I remember back when I was going through this, here was one of the biggest things that I had to deal with. And that might not be the biggest thing they have to deal with. But it opens up an avenue of conversation. Where they might say, well, that's not really my problem. My problem is really this. And maybe I can help them in that. Or at the least, maybe it at least shows that I care something about them to at least be like, man, I went through that and I know it's hard. Because sometimes we just want people just to be there. Ain't got to say a word. Don't have to do anything. I just need to know that you've got my back. And I'm not good at telling people I've got your back. Because that's not naturally the way I think. Again, that's one of those things I've got to work on forcing myself to do. Unless I'm going through the same type of thing. 
Auntie Eddie's mother passed away this week. I had no idea that she was even sick. Until that Sunday I got up here and told you about my mother having to be rushed to the hospital. I had no idea that we had the same thing until I brought it up and he said, my mother's the same way. There's a different connection that day with that brother. Because now we're experiencing the same types of things. And if we isolate ourselves to the point where we only know the things about the people that we know the things about, we might be missing somebody that could help us, that could need our help, because I'm not interested in anything going on in life. And so again, yesterday was one of those days where I learned something about somebody that probably in a normal circumstance I wouldn't have known. But you're now closer to them because you know more about it and the similarities in my life. And then it gets me to the final point that I want to make, the final thought that I had this week that I didn't know how to say, is his mom is... When I went out to Denver last February and the doctor said, so have you considered a lung transplant? It took her half a second to say, we don't want one. And then here we are, five months later, her doctor keeps bringing up, I think you're a perfect candidate for a lung transplant. I think you're a perfect candidate for a lung transplant. All right, we'll go listen. And so before my mother ever went down on Friday to go see those doctors, I was talking to one of my sisters. And my sister said something that really stood out to me that all of us, I think, can appreciate. My sister said, I feel bad about this. If she has a lung transplant, that means somebody has to die for her to live. And I said, Susie, that shouldn't make you feel all that bad. Because that's exactly what we got right now. Somebody had to die so that you and me could live. And I'll tell you what, I don't think about it that way until mom needs lungs. And that's like, hold on now. That's a big sacrifice from somebody. I've always said, nope, not going to donate my organs. But now that my mother needs organs, it makes you, it makes you consider things that you wouldn't have before of how, yeah, I may lose my life. But somebody else is going to be able to live because of that. And isn't that the very sentiment of Jesus in John, the 10th chapter? That, again, phrases and things that I, I know and I've preached about and I've thought that I have gathered and understood before, but now it's like a whole nother world. Verse 11 of John, the 10th chapter, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep, and he flees, and the wolf snatches them, and he scatters them. See, that's the way I normally work in life. If I can't see you and I don't know you, you are dead to me. You are clearly in theory, and I am not concerned about you. 
because you're not my own. You're not anyone I know. You're not my family. You're not my co-worker. You're not my brother or sister in Christ. You are just nothing to me. Jesus looked at all of us and he says, man, you're my sheep. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm not going to run away from this. I'm going to gladly do this. I lay it down. Because 14, or 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care for the sheep. See, somebody in order to be an organ donor, they have to care for somebody else besides themselves. They're having to think about somebody else benefiting from their loss. And they're not just thinking about themselves. They're thinking about somebody else. And so Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And as He would go on to say later, I lay down my life so that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. See, that's one of the things that you and I, we probably should remind each other of more especially when sin has crept into our life and sin is starting to ensnare us and entangle us, we probably should remind each other and ourselves, uh, Jesus didn't die so that I could do this. Michael preached a sermon that was it the first Sunday night of this month. The grace of God demonstrated doesn't give us a license to keep on sinning. And sometimes I just need to be reminded of the great cost. And try to put it as personal as possible. Is that, man, what if I needed some lungs? Or what if I needed a kidney? Would there be anybody that would be willing to give it up that I know? Well, someone had to do much greater than that. Jesus had to give up his very own life for my sake and your sake. So we say, what do we do with that? Well, Passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work. Again, when I talked through Hebrews on Wednesday night, we made a point to emphasize this. Let us consider. It's just like that person that walks in the door. I have to think about what I'm going to say to that individual. Let us consider one another, he says. Each of us as Christians, let us consider one another. How we might stir up one another to love Remember that bond that ties us together that we talked about? And good works. The thing that the people of God are to be zealous for, Titus chapter 3. You've got all of that. What am I doing to stir someone else up to that? Am I even thinking about that? Am I considering that? Let's get down with me now to verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. If we give up on this, we give up on what Jesus did for us, there's nothing else that's going to take away our sin. 
But what we can expect, verse 27, is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And I might find myself in that situation saying, well, I don't belong with the murderers and the adulterers and the homosexuals and the thieves and all of those. And you would say, yeah, yeah, you do. Because we probably don't see ourselves in the same light when it comes to sin in our lives. So he says, anyone, verse 28, anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You think it's bad for you? Man, there was no mercy in that law. You're rebellious to your parents. Catch you later. You picked up sticks on the Sabbath. Catch you later. Like, that's serious. We break the law of God. We're banking on mercy. We're banking on not getting struck with lightning or what have you. That was not the way it was. But he says, you got the same thing coming. You've got that same fury, because verse 29 is how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who spurned the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Which one is worse? Ignoring Moses, who is speaking on behalf of God, or ignoring God? You'd say they're the same. But if we saw them side by side and face to face, we would feel really bad for spurning the Son of God. How much worse punishment do you think? And I wish I had an answer for that. I've tried to come up with an answer for that for years. What would be the, the correct punishment for the person who, after having knowledge of the truth, continues to sin deliberately, has no intention to change, will never change, and says, Jesus, I love you, but... What is the correct punishment for that individual? Me as a human being, I have no idea. God knows what it is. And it is just. And it is fair. Because I have outraged... His Spirit. That Spirit that has set me apart. That Spirit that has been given to me specially. That the rest of the world doesn't have. And I say, you know what? It's not really that big of a deal. It's just that. What is that correct punishment? I do not know. But verse 30 says, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. The Lord, we often think of the Lord, He's going to judge those that are enemies of mine, that are enemies of His. He makes sure that we point it out right here, the Lord is going to judge His people. And as Peter says, the judgment begins at the house of God. What will be of the godless and the sinner? We ain't got a chance. Don't stand a chance. And so 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
see, that's the way I felt when I woke up from that dream, was that I was afraid because I had fallen into the hands of the living God for doing something that I didn't think was as bad as all of these others out there. I don't belong with you guys. And what Hebrews 10 is telling me is, if you don't do what Jesus says, no matter how big or how small, you belong with those guys. And it is 100% deserved. So my admonition to myself and to others is A, let's try to help people be a part of this. So that when they stand before God and he's asked, well, why didn't you obey the gospel or why didn't you stick? Well, those people over there, they didn't welcome me. They got to deal with it themselves. But maybe I ignored them intentionally. Because I didn't want to help. Secondly, think about what Christ has done for each and every one of us. That he had to die so that we might live. And how deserved a punishment it is when we don't care that he died for me. And I just keep doing it my way. How I'm not too good for this. This is actually what I deserve. And I have to think about that for all eternity. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to do my best to do what he says the rest of my day. If you need the prayers of the congregation or anything in this way, why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing.